welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Okay, so I thought I'd share some recent ponderings. Do you know what ponderings are, the Germans? It's um, those little thoughts going through your head that you chew over and you think about in the daytime and then they, they come up in your dreams at night. And So I've been pondering. Like um, Meditating may be more intentional than pondering. Ponderings possibly a little bit. Maybe. I'm not sure on the exact grammar. But it's been conscious and subconscious. And sometimes when you're pondering on something, you can go round and round in circles. Sometimes you go round in a, a straight, not a straight circle, that's impossible, a flat circle, like in a crochet when you're crocheting a round, flat round. And sometimes you spiral, and you can spiral downwards or you can spiral upwards in your emotions, depending on what you're pondering on. And you've probably all experienced that. You can be having a fine day, and you start thinking about something, and the more you think about it, the worse you feel. And the worse you feel, the more worried you become, so it occupies all of your thoughts, and it can just really affect the way you feel, can't it? And affect more than your feelings, it affects your behaviour. Whereas if you're pondering on something good, and you start thinking about that, it can take you to a place of feeling joy and peace inside, and you behave out, you act out of that. Um, so re- my recent big pondering has been about who am I which is a massive question isn't it it's like <laughs> should I <laughs> so I am um, 48 and I am still pondering who am I that's husband calling I'll have to speak to him later and um, the other the other thing thought the other big question is what am I here for those are those are Rose's deep thoughts coming through right there so that's the kind of the extension of who am I and what am I here for and I've been saying that for a few weeks now to anybody who will listen <laughs> what am I here for what am I for because um Life has changed a lot for me in the past few years. Um, Having three children, you're very, very busy, very occupied with their lives, and there's a lot of life going on in the house. And then um, Ollie got married 18 months ago, and so there's a little bit less life going on in the house. Toby was at university, so all of a sudden we had one child, and that child, um, you know, had plenty of life going on. But my role was changing and my reason to be here seemed to be evolving and changing. Um, So I I started to doubt that there was a good reason for me to be here and there were good things for me to be doing and I started to feel a bit overwhelmed with all the things I was doing. Um, But also that deep longing for some significance, not, I don't mean a position, of significance. I mean some actual reason to get out of bed in the morning and go and have useful things to do that were making a difference.
needs or that were fulfilling my needs or fulfilling other people. Um, so, so what I'm going to talk to you about really is real life. It's, it's real life with Jesus and it's, um, it's my real life. So it's uh, practical stuff. So those were my thoughts. And I, I think I was feeling a bit, um, I wouldn't say depressed, because I have been depressed in the past, and I don't think it was depression. I think it was a little bit of maybe melancholy, a little bit of sadness about what's been and not exactly knowing what's to come. And when Andrew Rabba came, he, Andre Rabba, he really helped me because he was talking about not worrying about the past because it's gone, not worrying about the future because it's not happened yet, and just being in this moment, in this day. And he helped me really. A lot of the things he said really helped me because of the questions I was asking and the thoughts I was having about me. And it that sounds very selfish to be thinking about me, me, me. But life sometimes brings you to those points where you have to take stock, don't they, of who you are. And I'm sure you've done that in your time at iDestiny. I'm sure you've had moments where you've been wondering what you are for and why you are here on this earth. Is there a purpose and is there a plan? Is there a... What's life? You know, what is life? What is going on? So, something that really helps me. Um, I, I was the children's pastor for, I don't know, 10, 12 years maybe? I don't know how long I did it for. But I was the children's pastor. And so, having children and being a very visual person and speaking to children a lot, I have a lot of affinity with children's stories. So when um, we do New Creation Week, I normally read this little story called Nothing. And we didn't get to do it this time. And Irvin said, oh, we haven't read Nothing, are you not going to do it? And, um, and it didn't feel like the right time to me. But, but it does now because there's some things in here that are quite profound, even though it's a children's story. So I'm going to read it to you, although I almost know it by heart now because we've had this story in our family for 21 years. It's very cute. And we bought it because there's a character... Well, I'll tell you later. Okay, I'll tell you why we bought it. But anyway, I don't want to spoil the surprise. So it's Nothing by Mick Inkpen, who has a perceptive uh, understanding of the heart of God, I think, in his story writing. So here we are. And I hope you enjoy the pictures. A new baby is on the way. The family's moving out of number 47 to a bigger house round the corner. The cat has gone missing, but everything else is packed and ready to go. Nothing has been left behind. The little thing in the attic at number 47 had forgotten all about daylight. It had been squashed in the dark for so long that it could remember very little of anything. Stuck beneath years of junk, it could not recall how it felt to stand up or to stretch out its arms. So long had it been there, even its own name was lost. I wonder who I am, it thought, but it could not remember. The day came when the family that lived at number 47 were to move. All day long, the little thing listened to thuds and thumps and the sound of tramping feet in the house below, until at last the attic door was flung open 
and large hands began to stuff cardboard boxes full of junk. The little thing felt the weight on top of it gradually lighten and suddenly the glare of a torch beam stung its eyes. What have we got here? said a voice. Oh, it's nothing, said another. Let the new people get rid of it. The torch was switched off, the boxes were carried out and moments later, somewhere down below, the front door slammed shut. Number 47 was empty. So that's my name, thought the little thing. Nothing. For the first time in a very long time, nothing sat up. He looked around him at the cobwebs and shafts of dusty moonlight. Then in the quiet, he heard the patter of feet and a mouse came running towards him. New people always try to get rid of you, it said, without introducing itself. It looked at him. Seen you under the rug. What are you? Nothing, replied nothing. Well, nothing or not, you can't stay here. Not with new people coming, said the mouse. And it hurried off. Nothing struggled to his feet. On unsteady legs, he followed the dusty paw prints. The mouse stopped by a moonlit gap under the eaves. Through there, it said. Good luck. With a wriggle of its tail, it disappeared under the floorboards. I used to have a tail, thought nothing suddenly. He felt sure of it. Sorry, the book's just fallen into pieces with use. Can you see the pictures? Okay, you can always have a look at the end. How do you think you would feel if you had been squashed in the dark for years and years and you squeezed through a tiny hole to find yourself under the big starry sky? Well, there are no words for that kind of feeling, so I won't try to tell you how nothing felt, except to say that he sat on the roof staring up at the moon and stars for a very long time. He was still staring upwards as he made his way along the gutter, which is why he fell straight down the drain pipe. Nothing rolled into the garden and sat up. What on earth are you? said a silky voice. The fox, for that is what it was, left the dustbin and trotted towards him. I'm nothing, said nothing. The fox sniffed at him. Its whiskers quivered, its ears pricked. I used to have ears and whiskers, thought nothing suddenly. He was sure of it. The fox spoke again. Nothing, it said disdainfully. Nothing worth eating, that's for sure. It trotted away silently. Nothing wandered into the garden and came across a lily pond. There a frog sat gently croaking. As nothing approached, it plopped into the water and with a kick of its stripy legs, it disappeared from view. I used to have stripes, thought nothing. I'm sure I did. The ripples cleared and Nothing found himself staring at his own reflection. It was odd. It was ugly. (gasps) What are you? it said to Nothing sadly. A tear rolled up its face and splashed onto the surface of the pond. The ugly face disappeared among the ripples. What are you? repeated Nothing. I'm a cat, said a loud voice. Who's asking? 
a big lolloping tabby cat tumbled out from behind a bush and grinned at nothing. Nothing opened his mouth to explain that he had been talking to himself and that he did not know what he was and that he was lost and that he had just been sniffed by a horrible fox and that he was feeling very miserable. But instead he found himself shuddering and shaking as great uncontrollable sobs quivered up his little raggedy body and sat him on the ground. I don't know who I am, he howled. I don't know who I am. The cat licked him full in the face. After a while, nothing stopped crying. The cat lay down beside him. Between nothing's loud sniffs, it told him all about itself, how its name was Toby, and how it came from a long line of Tobys. I live in the house, it said. At least I used to. We moved round the corner today. They think I'm lost, but it's all the same to me. Number 47, number 97. What's the difference? It's all my patch. Do you want to see? Nothing sniffed once more and nodded. Of course you do, said the cat. It picked up nothing and sprang onto the garden wall. Nothing had never ridden through the night in a cat's mouth before. It whisked him up through the branches of a tree and out onto the rooftops, where they sped along with the moon racing them behind the chimney pots. I'm taking you the long way round, panted the cat. It's more fun. All the while joggling along inside nothing's head, there was a thought trying to get out. It felt like an important thought. It had something to do with the cat. The cat jumped the fence at nine, number 97 and trotted in through the back door. He found an old man dozing in a chair, surrounded by unpacked boxes. That's Grandpa, whispered the cat to nothing, and dropped him on the old man's lap. So there you are, said Grandpa, waking up. What have you brought me this time? He put on his glasses and looked at nothing. <gasps> Good heavens, look everyone, look what Toby's found. Sorry, this always makes me cry. Nothing looked up at Grandpa and saw a face he knew. <coughs> the important thought inside his head popped open like a jack-in-a-box. The family gathered around to look. What is it, Grandpa, said the children. But Grandpa was busy rummaging among, among the cardboard boxes. I know it's here somewhere, he said. Ah, oh, there it is. He pulled out an old photograph album and opened it, turning the pages until he came to a faded photograph of a baby. That's me, he said, and that's Toby's great, 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 great grandfather. And this, he said, tapping the photograph and tickling nothing's tummy with his forefinger. This is little Toby. last, nothing remembered who he was, though he had no ears nor whiskers, no tail and no stripes. He was for certain a little cloth tabby cat whose name was not nothing but little Toby. And this with the help of a good wash, some scraps of material, a needle and some thread, is how he became little Toby once more.
his stripes back. He's got his nose and his whiskers. When the new baby arrived, little Toby was handed back to Grandpa, who tucked him carefully in the cot. And straight away the new baby began to chew on his ear, which if it had been your ear would probably have hurt a little, but since it belonged to a little cloth cat, did not hurt it the slightest. I'm sorry about the tears, but it always, always gets me. And we've had this book since our boy was born. He was a little Toby. He's a big Toby now. But when I saw it, I thought, oh, I've got to have that because it, you never find books with that kind of, that name in. So I bought it for Toby. And over the years, it's really meant a lot to me because we all have those moments, don't we, where we just say, I don't know who I am. And it's actually quite painful sometimes because we thought we did, but things crowd in and get on top of us and we feel a bit dusty and maybe a bit forgotten or a bit sort of without purpose. But the thing about this story I love is the cat, because the cat reminds me of the Holy Spirit and it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring us to the Father. And that's what he loves to do. And he loves to remind us about Jesus. He always brings us to Jesus. And Grandpa, my favourite, my favourite bit here is when nothing looks up at Grandpa and sees a face he knows. And I think when we come face to face with Father God, we see a face we know. And it's a real loving face isn't it when we look up at the face of God all we see is love all that's there is love and acceptance grandpa did not say "Ooh, what's happened to you oh I remember what I remember who you were but phew, I'm having nothing to do with you because look at where you've been you know you're grubby you're dirty where have your whiskers gone you've got no stripes going we'll bin you because you've lost your purpose he knows exactly who that little cat is. He knows exactly what he's for. And he restores him back to life, doesn't he? Gives him back his purpose and his identity. So it's not in our identity, it's not in anything external. It's not in our physical being. It's not in necessarily even in our gift. It's not in our past experiences, even though that has some effect on us, but it doesn't, it doesn't make us who we are. We find our identity by gazing into the eyes of the one who knows us, who created us. So I wanted to read you some um, of Corinthians, because this is what God was reminding me of and I think you'll like it I don't know whether you're familiar with the mirror version of the Bible Sharon's probably read to you out of it or mentioned it um, it's a paraphrase I think or it might be a translation I'm not sure 
by um, Francois de Troyes. And I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. But I'm going to read the verse before that because Paul's talking about spiritual gifts and he's, talking, he's not talking so much about our identity. He's talking about our gifts. And then he says, While you are keen to discover which are your favourite gifts, allow me to introduce you to the highest good, the summum bonum, which is Latin, means the highest good of life. This transcends all. And then the next chapter is entitled, Love is Who You Are. Speaking in tongues is not the point, love is. It is neither angelic eloquence nor the mastery of human language that persuades. It doesn't matter how poetic, prophetic or profound I may sound. My conversation is reduced to the hollow noise of clanging brass cymbals if love's echo is absent. He mentions here that the Greek word for the love of God is agape, and it's from the word agu, meaning to lead like a shepherd guides his sheep, and peo, meaning to rest. And he mentions this verse from the Psalms. He leads me beside still waters. By the waters of reflection, my soul remembers who I am. God's rest is established upon his image and likeness, redeemed in us so as we rest and gaze on his image and likeness as we look into his eyes we see his image and likeness in ourselves so to encounter agape is to remember who I am Jesus the saviour of humankind rescued God's image and likeness in human form and the grace of God shines as bright as day making the salvation of humankind undeniably visible. <coughs> I could predict the future in detail and have a word of knowledge for everyone. I could possess amazing faith and prove it by moving mountains. It doesn't make me any more important than anyone else. Love is who you are. You are not defined by your gift or your deeds. Love give, gives context to faith. Moving mountains is not the point. Love is. Love is not about defending a point of view. Even if I am prepared to give away everything I have and die a martyr's death, love does not have to prove itself by acts of supreme devotion or self-sacrifice. Love is large in being passionate about life and relentlessly patient in bearing the offences and injuries of others with kindness. Love is completely content and strives for nothing. Love has no desire to make others feel inferior and has no need to sing its own praises. Love is predictable and does not behave out of character. Love is not ambitious. Love is not spiteful. It gets no mileage out of another's mistakes. It has no sharp edges. Love sees no joy in injustice. Love's delight is in everything that truth celebrates. Love is a fortress where everyone feels protected rather than exposed. Love's persuasion is persistent. Love believes. Love never loses hope and always remains constant in contradiction. 
Love never loses its altitude. Prophecies will cease, just like when a placenta is discarded after a baby is born. Tongues will pause, so that which was spoken will be fully interpreted. The quest for knowledge will be inappropriate when perfection is grasped. Now persuasion and every pleasurable expectation is completed in agape, where my soul remembers who I am. Agape is the superlative of everything faith and hope always knew to be true about me. Love defines my eternal moment. So faith and hope belong in the heart of God and love and they know my true nature, they know your true nature, they know our identity. And love just exclaims our identity to the world. It kind of shouts it aloud with a, with a megaphone or with a big speaker. It, love shouts aloud our, the truth of who we are in Christ, beloved. We are his beloved. Love is who you are. It's what you're made of. Andre Rob said, I am a thought of God in flesh form. I really liked that. Because David talks about in the Psalms about how vast is the sum of God's thoughts towards me. I can't count them. And how, how vast are his loving thoughts towards us. How, how it, we can't even imagine when we look at the stars in the sky, God has more thoughts about you about you, about you, in his head. More loving thoughts than we can count the stars. There's billions and billions and billions of stars. And all those thoughts are love. Not one of them is condemnation, not one of them is criticism, not one of them is, why don't you just get a grip and get on with it? You know, when we struggle with, well, who am I? All God's thoughts towards us are, you are mine. You are my beloved, you are my child, and I love you. We tend to think sometimes that love is a doing word, and it's, but it's a being word as well. It's a resting word. It's about resting in his truth. And that rest in love brings peace to all our striving. So it allows me to be me and it allows you to be you and I don't have to get you to do or be what I want you to be and you don't have to do that for me. There's no judgment, there's no competition, there's no comparison, there's no sharp edges like it, it said in that, those verses, there's nothing harsh about love. There's just joy in I am me and you are you, and that freedom to be who we are, and to work out of that freedom, and to live out of that freedom, the life that God's given us. I'm a big fan of um, Joseph Prince and his writing. I'm a big fan of um, John Crowder. 
and what they uh, what they have taught me has changed the way I think in so many ways. Um, I used to have massive battles with condemnation. I think I battled for 40 years enormously with condemnation. And um, Joseph Prince has really helped me see that all of my, all of the stuff that I'm not happy with about me was placed on Jesus at the cross. All of that. There's not one thing left out that I am unhappy with about my nature that wasn't crucified with Christ. And I can rest now in that finished work where I was crucified. I can rest in that finished work. On the way here, I drove here and it takes about 10 minutes, I must have had about four or five different scenarios going on in my head on the way here in that time about when children were little or other situations that have happened since where I could have taken on that condemnation again and I start found myself starting to say I'm sorry I'm sorry God I'm sorry for that I got to the traffic lights and stopped because the light, light was on red and thought what am I doing what am I doing I'm entertaining that again the past I'm entertaining the where I let God down or felt I failed him or where I you know where I wasn't very loving or where I wasn't enough all of that has been crucified obliterated it doesn't exist the only place it exists is in my head God's not looking at that because it doesn't exist he's looking at the cross he's looking at the blood of Jesus that is enough for him when he looks at me he only accepts me when he looks at you he only has acceptance for you, all the time. So let's stop visiting that old country. Let's stop getting our passports out into the past and visiting again and holidaying. Don't take a holiday of gloom to the past and what you could have done, should have done. Take an adventure with love who you really are, the authentic nature of who you are, is beloved. I'm hidden in Christ, in God. And so are you. I was thinking about that hug we had here on New Creation Week with the Trinity and the, the embracing of the Trinity. And I'm quite an introvert. Um, I'm quite shy, really. And I'm not... I don't naturally... You know, lots of people who are extrovert, they find it easy, don't they, to hug and to be very jolly and outgoing. And I'm a much more self-contained person and I don't find that comes naturally to me. I'm getting better at it, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it's not my, my nature, my, do you know what I mean? And, um, but those hugs in the Trinity are really special. As we get together and we put our arms around you, the students, and we just love, love, love. And sometimes it can feel a bit uncomfortable, a long hug, can't it? Because you think, oh, all right, I've had enough now, you can let go. And then the person doesn't let go, and you're like, oh, you can let go now. I just want to love you a bit longer, and it's a bit like, yeah, but, you know. You can just let go now. And God doesn't ever relax his hold. I think 
that's in the Amplified somewhere in the Old Testament about I will never leave you, I will never, no, not ever relax my hold on you. That's what love is like. We don't have to hold on to love with our fingertips like on a, a precipice, a rock face, gritting our teeth and screaming out, you know, for, like, for aid, for rescue. Love is around us, surrounds us, continually holds us together. I've got a quote here that I read on a blog. I follow a blog called Limitless Life Ministries and um, I really like their stuff and they quoted a, a person called Dr Lynn Hiles and she says, the life of God will so energise you that resurrection life will flow from your very being. Do you feel that, that excitement in that? The energy of God, the life of God energises me. I don't have to get up in the morning and make it happen. I don't have to put myself in the mood or rev up to this false kind of jollity. Woo! You know, I don't have to be hyperactive and somebody I'm not. I can be me with all of my character, but have that resurrection life bubbling up in me that provides the energy flows from my very being, it flows from my very being, I don't have to force it or summon it up or pretend it's there, it is there, it is flowing. And I love this quote from Andre Rabe, I love, therefore I am. And when, when I'd been thinking about what am I for, God, what am I for? I wrote that down in my journal when he was here, I just thought, that's perfect, isn't it? That's what I'm for. I'm here for love. So whether I'm at work, <coughs> if I'm teaching somebody, I'm there to love. That's my primary aim, is to love that person. The teaching is the secondary thing. If I'm here, my primary aim is for you to feel loved. The teaching is almost secondary. I mean, I don't want to teach you a load of nonsense. That's really... I feel very responsible that I'm not teaching you a lot of nonsense. But if, if I go away and you don't feel that I loved you when I was here, I'd feel really sad because that's why I'm here. You could watch a screen, you could have a, all have a headphones on and sit at your laptops and listen to somebody, but I'm here to love you. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. As you behold Jesus, you're transformed from glory to glory, not by your efforts, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And uh, we were going through some old books last week, and uh, I found my old dictionary from when I was 11 and I went to high school. And I thought, oh gosh, I've not seen this for a long time. Little Collins English Dictionary. I opened it up, and it fell open at the page where some of the, the, the G section was. And I looked down and looked at the word, and the first word I saw was glory. I thought, oh, I wonder what it says about that. And this is the de def definition. It's heavenly bliss. So we're being transformed from heavenly bliss to heavenly bliss. I don't know what's Bliss, it's um, ecstasy. It's um, that heightened sense of joy that sort of... Um, 
serene. Do you know, um, can't, does anybody else have a better explanation of what bliss is? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going from from joy to joy or from bliss to bliss. Heaven's perfection, heaven's joy over us. We're living in an exalted or prosperous state. That was another definition. We're in an honourable position in splendour. That's what the Bible says about us. And the source of our bliss is Jesus. He is the source of our joy. Now we can live from this fullness of joy, this fullness of satisfaction, this wholeness, not striving to reach something or become something, but out of the fullness that he has purchased at the cross. <coughs> so instead of asking this massive question about and spinning into a spiral of despair, oh, what am I for? I'm pondering on this life of love that I've been called to live. So whether I meet people in a cafe, like last night we had the Kingsway Coffee Ladies, whether we're doing that, or whether we're, whether we're in the pub, or whether you're, I don't know, at the school gates, or nursing your maternal ladies about to give birth, or dealing with your customers who want you to be producing some beautiful sounds for them, or what, what are you doing, Ophelia? Playing your violin and inspiring people with your beauty don't have to do it from a striving state. That nagging thing going on inside us. Because to be honest, the people of the world have that. But we know God is in us. So we have that truth within us and we can rest in that. I wanted to bring, uh, to read something from Isaiah as well. found this in the voice translation. This is Isaiah 61. So obviously if you have, if you are a person alive, you don't just want to do nothing with your life. You want to, you want to live, you want to really live. So you want to know what, what you're for, don't you? You want to experience life in community and to be able to give into others and God reminded me about this these verses in Isaiah 61 this is what so this is what Isaiah wrote hundreds of years before Jesus and then this is what Jesus quoted when he came to the synagogue and he began his ministry this is what he was so he was imagine being in that synagogue and him standing up and just declaring this I don't know whether anybody had those tingles on the back of their neck you know sometimes when when somebody's just, they start sharing something and you just know the Holy Spirit is all over it and it kind of makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up or you can feel it all tingling down your arms. Sometimes I get that and I think, wow, God's all over this. You know, imagine being there when Jesus just happened to be at, the, the scroll just happened to be at that place, didn't it? He just read what was the daily reading for that day. God had prepared that moment in advance for Jesus just to start declaring this. And when the word of God goes out, it goes forth until it has accomplished everything 
that it was designed to do before it goes back to the Father. So that word is rolling out still. The sound of that word is still rolling out. It's still going through the universe. It's expanding. Those sound waves are expanding. And they're touching you today and me today as I read it. So until it's accomplished everything, the Father, it doesn't go back. So it's still here. It's still resonating. It's still alive, this word. The Spirit of the Lord, the Eternal, is on me. The Lord has appointed me for a special purpose. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. I'm going to have a little walk, but I haven't got a pocket, so I'll have to multitask. I was going to write some words down on here so that you, you can put them down in your notebooks if you want to, or just think about them. So what is my purpose, God? What am I here for to bring good news? To the poor. He has sent me to repair broken hearts. And to declare to those who are held captive and bound in prison be free from your imprisonment. Freedom. He has sent me to announce the year of Jubilee. So here's the year of Jubilee. I don't think that year was one year. I think the year of Jubilee is from the cross forever. I think it's an eternal thing freedom for the captives, the season of the eternal's favour. For our enemies it will be a day of God's wrath. That does not mean that everybody that you dislike God is angry with, does it? We know that. For our enemies, well we only have one enemy don't we? The enemy of our souls is Satan. So it's a day of wrath for him. It's a day of judgment for him. But for all those who mourn, it's a time of comfort. <coughs> and for those who grieve over Zion, God has sent me to give them a beautiful crown. to anoint them with gladness instead of sorrow to wrap them I like this to wrap them we do a lot of wrapping at this time of year you're wrapped up in your blankets you're wrapped up in your layers there's something lovely about wrapping isn't there when you've got a newborn baby Mary and you wrap aren't they by that process of being wrapped and embraced and we're wrapping presents at the moment well we should be if we're finished by even buying them I've not wrapped a single thing but we are we're wrapping so instead of sorrow and the broken-hearted and the poor we are now wrapping them in these lovely things in victory 
in joy and in praise. <coughs> oh, bless you. Instead of depression and sadness. That doesn't mean we'll never be sad and that people, people won't ever be depressed. It doesn't mean that, does it? This is what this is what the kingdom is. It brings relief from those things. We will be sad. There will be things that happen to us that make us sad. But we will be wrapped in victory. We will be wrapped in joy. We will be wrapped in praise in our sadness. And the love that God has for us will transform that sadness into joy. He is in that with us. It's not a sugar coating over something painful. He comforts us, binds up our broken hearts, surrounds us with his love, wraps us up like a baby, swaddled it tightly in a blanket, and all we can do is rest in that. And as we experience that for ourselves, we go and do that for others. People will call them magnificent, like great towering trees. I think one <coughs> translation says that they become the oaks of righteousness, a planting of our God, standing for what is right. So Jesus, all of that was in the first person. All of that was Jesus saying, this is what I'm going to do. And then it turns to they, which I read, I'm not a Bible scholar, okay. But I read that as Jesus will do, he will rap, he will comfort, he will bring the jubilee, he will bring the favor, he will bring the crown through the cross, it's all through the cross, okay. He will do all that for us. He has done all that for us at the cross. So that we will rebuild this place from its ancient ruins. So we will rebuild we will restore the ages old, once splendid structures. We will renew Israel's ruined cities. Rebuild, restore, renew. Our communities, our families. From the ashes and debris that laid untouched for many generations. And people will come from all over to serve you. So as you live a life of love, as I live a life of love, people will come and be a team with us. People will come and help. God will send people. Outsiders will tend your flocks, plough your fields and prune your vines. You will be known as the ones specially chosen by the Eternal as priests. People will speak of you as ministers of our God. And the wealth of nations 
the wealth of nations will come to you for your delight and enrichment. Many called you disgraced and defiled and said that shame should be your share of things. So that's what we expect when we mess up, isn't it? We expect that shame should be what we deserve. And we kind of put ourselves in that place of, oh, well, it's just, you know, what can I expect because I did X, Y, and Z? What can I expect because, you know, this is what my family's like? What can I expect because this is what society is like? We kind of lower our expectations and we think that shame should be should be our friend, should be our reward. And God says, yet you suffered doubly and lived in disgrace. Double will be your share and with joy everlasting. So we have all these things and joy doubled. And that's, that's our share. That's our wages. That's our... That's what we can expect. And it goes on to say, talk about God's covenant with us and his faithfulness and his support for our children. And this is verse 10. I am filled with joy and my soul vibrates with exuberant hope because of the eternal, my God. For he has dressed me with the garment of salvation, wrapped me with the robe of righteousness. It's as though I'm dressed for my wedding day. In the very best, a bridegroom's garland and a bride's jewels. The whole earth sprouts newness and life in the springtime and green shoots break through the well-seeded garden soil. That's what it's like with the eternal's victory. The Lord will cause justice and praise to sprout up before all the nations for all peoples to see. So those are his promises and his plans for, for us. These are the things he wants for our lives. He wants your, you know when you have a dream or a vision or a, a hope, he wants to bring people around you to help you with that. He wants to give you the wealth of nations so that you can go on and prosper and do well. So we're filled with joy and exuberant hope. And we're dressed for our wedding. God hasn't, Jesus is not coming back for a shame clad bride. He's not coming back for a bride who doesn't know who she is. He's coming back for a bride who knows who she is, who, who our, her identity is. So we're partnering with God for all of this. We're partnering with him. And every time that the enemy might come and whisper to me, say, well, I don't see the point of you, you know, I don't see the point of what you're doing today, or you've got no hope, 
got no future, you've got no pension, and all of those, you know, horrible whispers. in this life of love. I was talking to a lady from church last night at the coffee evening, and she was talking about um, when she first came in contact with people from this church, and she'd met um, Sharon and Sue Rust at a time when she was very, very low, and life was very difficult, and um, she didn't really know Jesus. I think she'd been brought up a Catholic very young, but you know, she had no relationship with Jesus and um, Sharon and Sue offered to come and pray at, at her house and so she had them round and they came repeatedly to pray with their family because her husband was very sick and every time they left she said um, I kept going round the room looking behind the cushions to see what they'd left behind because something was different in the house and I was looking for this thing that they'd left behind because the atmosphere was different and everything had changed. I just thought, that is amazing, isn't it? Because Sharon and Sue won't have done anything different or special or... They were just being themselves. They were just going and loving this family and praying with this family. And it's all the kind of things that you do. It's all normal, natural Christianity. But we leave something behind with people. We leave presence with them, that they can feel tangibly and that they can experience that difference. And I know um, with some of my family that I visit regularly, I've seen change happen over time, you know, because there's a difference and they know there's a difference but they can't quite put their finger on it. And they, there's all sorts of things that they think it is, but I know who it is. You know, and it's really good to hear somebody else's story about that. Think, gosh, if only we knew, if only we could focus on, instead of that nagging doubt, if we focused on the fullness and what rolls out of us and what rolls off of us, like dry ice rolling off and changing the atmosphere, if we had our eyes and ears open, we could get hold of the truth of that something is different about us. So this is who I am. I am love. I am loved. Thank you for listening to the Adestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.